Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CSEP podcast. My name is Alan Selby, and I'll be your host for season two of the show as we discuss all things high performance. Today on the show, we welcome Jeff Osadic. Jeff has been a sport physiologist and strength and conditioning coach for the past 15 years, working with athletes from the developmental level to national and professional athletes. Jeff holds degrees in general studies and education from Brandon University, exercise and sports science from the University of Manitoba, and a master's in kinesiology from the University of Calgary. He's currently living in Calgary, where he worked at the Canadian Sport Institute since 2011 as a strength coach and sport physiologist. During his time there, Jeff has worked with Hockey Canada, where he was the assistant strength coach to the women's gold medal team in the 2014 Olympic Games. He has also worked closely with Water Polo Canada and Cross Country Canada as both a strength coach and as team physiologist. Recently, he was lead physiologist and strength coach for the Olympic Oval Development Program and assistant physiologist with Speed Skating Canada. Jeff is certified as a physiologist through CSEP and as a strength and conditioning coach through the NSCA. Jeff, thank you for coming today. Welcome to the show. talk to Jeff today here about the high performance stream he helped design for CSEP. Uh, he's just going to talk to us about how he developed that and, and what it entails. So Jeff, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the stream? It was great. Uh, kind of came by accident. You know, I was working at the, at the Canadian Sport Institute with Graham Chalice and we get a call from Catherine Moore one day and she said, hey, do you guys want to do a, a web series on training and high performance. And Graham and I kind of hummed and hawed and we said, yeah, you know, it'd be kind of fun to sit down and develop our our theory and our PowerPoint presentations around what we do and how do you define that? Because really, like as you know, you're working with the Flames, how do you talk to people and tell them exactly what you do and what is your day-to-day -day process? Because every day is different. So it ended up in May of 2018 yes, 2018, that we ended up doing a four-night series on high-performance training. And we just sat online and talked, and, and like Graham and I were in two different cubicles having kind of a conversation like you and I are. And then a little while later, Catherine goes, hey, do you mind having a look at this high-performance stream? And Graham and I said, yeah, we'll have a look. We'll see what you guys have for, for the material. So the material came and had a good base. There was a lot of information there. But the way Graham and I like to work with it was that we want this to tell a story. We want this to have flow. And every presentation has to have a conclusion but lead to the next presentation. And there was some material there that needed to be added to and some that was it was, it was incomplete. And so we were on a line with Catherine and a few others within CSEP. They said, hey, what do you think we have there? We said, you have a few hours worth of material, but if this is really going to be a module series and you really want to start to get into the high-performance side and really build this brand, which is, is similar to what this NSCA CSES is, we need to add to this. And they said, well, how long do you think that take? And Graham and I are both sitting there kind of, ah, it's going to take. And they said, then finally Graham just goes, fine, we can start Monday. Let's get her going. And yeah. we, we, we went at it. So 
It turned out to be, I believe there's 31 presentations, so about 45 minutes roughly each one, and it encompasses everything from intake to monitoring to endurance training to strength and conditioning to long-term athlete development. There's a couple streams we didn't touch. We didn't touch sports psych. We didn't touch nutrition. We don't touch biomechanics because those are outside our streams. But we decided that you know we'll help them find some people that can get into that aspect. And so are they working on doing those streams right now with those people? I believe the, the sports psych is in progress. They're looking at, uh, at people who can finish that up. But it was, it was a great experience because really now we have some amazing material. And working with Graham, you know, we, we were able to take all this information that we've gathered over the years, all the books we've read, all the information that we say, hey, we use it on a daily basis, but now we're referencing it. Yeah. So I'm putting the speaker notes to this. I just look at this as a, as a great resource for myself to have in the background, but this is the basics of strength conditioning. Yes, there's new information coming out, but the fun of that was like, we're going back to square one. What do you really need to know? And I think that's where, you know, at the age of social media, we have to start to deliver back to the basics. It has gotten so convoluted with some of the stuff that's out there. And yeah. everybody gets you know, caught up in what's new. And as you know, Matthew watches something online. Like, yeah. Hey, I saw this. <laughs> I saw Sidney Crosby doing this. And yeah, that's great. That's Sidney Crosby, but you don't have context around it. Yeah. So what are the basics behind that that leads to having a solid foundation of training and process? Absolutely. I find generally what you see on social media, 90% of it, is the 10% that actually happens in the program, right? It's the icing on the cake, but you're most visible to it because it's the most creative stuff that gets the, yeah. the likes, right? So, totally. And, and, you know, if, if you can use it as an example for Olympic year, CBC comes to the gym, CTV comes to the gym, and they're going to watch the cool stuff. They're not watching the mundane stuff of the warm-ups, what they did for their MSK work, what they're doing on their on their conditioning yeah, or all the little things that they need to deal with because they've got X, Y, and Z injury. Yeah. It's more along the lines of, we want to see them lifting heavy weights. We want to see them pushing really crazy amount of, of load on, on the bike. That's not what we do every day. That's what we, like we said, it's 10% of what we do. What's the other 90% that we don't see? And that's where we kind of went, our heads went with this performance specialization. So like, let's get to the bottom of all of that. Yeah. So I imagine obviously a lot of work went into this, right? So, for you, I'm sure a lot of it was just kind of a good refresher, but did you learn new things in this process as well? Yeah, and that, I guess that's where part of it was being able to pick apart ideas with Graham. Now, Graham's still at the CSI, and he has a really amazing mind for pulling out information from old texts of Russian literature, or having this, he's almost like Dr. David Smith that we went to grad yeah. school with, and he said, I remember this article in 1931. It's like, <laughs> how do you remember that? And that's the same with Graham. So we pulled all these articles that we're like, we haven't looked at for a while, and books from Comey and Vershahansky and some of the stuff from Sif. And like, you you use it on a daily basis, but sometimes you forget about it. Yeah. And it sits in the back, and you're like, I remember doing this, and I remember asking uh, Les Grammatic, who's one of the greatest track coaches in our world. I said, Les, I'm thinking of doing this with my athletes. He goes, yep, did that in 71. It was garbage. We did it again. I was like, great. You just saved me like two months worth of work. Yeah. You know, so we go back to what actually works. And that's where we went to the to the original text. You know, we look at some of the articles that you look on monitoring and go back to Carl Foster. You look at some of the training aspects with Bomba. 
you go back to his books and you go, what are the basics? Yeah. What are the original texts around it, all this performance enhancement that we're looking at? And that's what we really wanted to get at was what was, what have we missed? And we have to highlight that because it's some really good material that really gets, like you said, 90% of the information we need is there. Yeah. But we want to play with this 10%. So that's what we really want to identify was that 90% of the work we need to do. Yeah. Um, so monitoring as an example, uh, you know, you say you're going back to some of the classic texts, uh, that's something that obviously in recent years, there's been a lot new, of new monitoring tools, right? So how did you kind of pick and choose which, uh, you know, old school techniques you looked at and talked about and, and which kind of new ones did you implement? Well, I guess we've never really moved past the old stuff. You know, let's be honest. We're getting a lot of information by being in the daily training environment, asking your athletes. I think where it breaks down is that we're not recording that. Yeah. You know, so we're you we were using a monitoring system that monitor daily questionnaires, Cooper McKinnon's, and that's the fundamentals. You know, it's it's asking something that's telling you what you need to know and build that picture for your athlete. Yeah. So I think we didn't go to specific questionnaires. We did put the Hooper in there. But we talked more about what are the things you need to know from an athlete. How are they responding to training? So basically, the fit principle, frequency, intensity, time, type, and then are you responding to your training? How are you identifying that? So yeah. are you sleeping well? Are you enjoying training? Are you recovering on time? Are you able to do your training, or are you modifying your training because you're injured or you just you need to modify? It? And it's really the simplistic aspect of it. I think the biggest thing we always look at is there's a ton of information out there. There are multiple platforms, as you know, you can go through and probably point your finger at 10 different platforms that are monitoring. What are the basics that you need to understand? And that really comes down to working closely with the coach. But it's also, are the, is the team ready for that information? You can throw all this information at them. You can throw all this monitoring, but if compliance is zero, it's totally yeah. nothing. Absolutely. You know, so finding out what makes them tick and what they will do. And I always look at, do you tier your system of monitoring to match the level of athlete you have? Yeah. Because just throwing 12 questionnaires at a kid or at an athlete, you know, you're working with professional guys. Compliance is probably better on that end. Yeah. But you're in that environment with them and trying to pick that out of some guys. Some guys just don't care. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, you I, I remember having this conversation with an athlete and he said, I need you to tell me why I'm not getting better. I said, I can give you 48% of the answer because that's the compliance you had on your monitor. And he good, just good me, response. And he, he just gave me the dirtiest look. But you know, it's it's an incomplete picture because today's PDC code word is module, as in the CSAP high performance module. Please log into your CSAP portal account and use the code word module to claim your professional development credits. The way we were using a lot of the monitoring in the oval program was to identify the difference between what the coach had prescribed and what the athlete actually did. Yeah. And where I sometimes butted heads with the coaches is yes, you have your plan. A plan is beautiful. It makes sense, but you made changes. So already by the time you look back, it's not the same plan. And did the athlete change it? And he goes, well, I can put that in. Yeah, you can. Yeah. But we want the athlete to tell us what they did. Yeah. And there are elite habits we need them to build. Yeah. So that was part of it was, can you do that little bit of adding in what you did, how you're sleeping, 
how you're eating, are you doing things you need to do correctly? Yeah. And I said to the athletes, it's not a monitoring tool for us was not about checking up on them. I'm not there to look on Monday morning and go, well, they partied last night. I don't care. Yeah. Honestly, I want to know, are you ready to train? I don't know from that monitoring tool if you were there because or you were late, late to bed because you had to work, whether you're out with your friends, you might be doing homework. That's not up to me to decide. It's yeah. up to you to tell us that, hey, I'm not sleeping enough. I'm going to look at that the next morning and it builds a conversation with the coach. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting. Uh, so, you know, talking about monitoring and all the different tools out there, I'm very fortunate with the Flames to have access to force plates. Um, you know, we use Catapult. So one thing I've been looking at recently is uh, called the Training Efficiency Index. So it's comparing their internal workload using heart rate monitor to their external workload using Catapult on ice. And I have one super compliant athlete, and he's kind of been our guinea pig for this because he, he loves this stuff. Like he loves hard numbers. He loves objective data. And so every day when he'd work out, we have him fill out his workouts on the bridge app and you have to do a quick questionnaire before and there's an overall readiness score. Um, we would do force plates on him once or twice a week and we had the training efficiency index uh, pretty much every day skated. So I ran a ton of correlations and one of the highest correlations I found between any of this stuff was his readiness score and his force plate variables uh, of readiness, right? So his, his peak power and takeoff velocity were generally higher in days he felt better. So it just goes to show how valid some of these old school measures like over McKinnon or just a general, like it was a one to 10 readiness question, how valid that could be, right? And how valuable that conversation asking how they feel is, right? Well, that's it. Like, you know, we, we look at it. It's nice to have the force plates. It's nice to have all this information. There are teams that have budgets that don't match what professional teams have, what we have at the sports center. And I always tell the coaches, it's what makes a difference for you to know. Yeah. And what builds that idea of having that conversation with the athlete. And you're right. I think uh, there's a tweet that came out a couple weeks back, and they said the biggest biggest indicator of performance is attendance. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, I've been missing this for so long. Like, <laughs> so consistency. You know, yes, yeah, you look at consistency and you're looking at attendance. And I think, you know, the really simple thing is if you're tracking your attendance, you get that you get the coaches to buy into that tendency, and then you can start to get okay, what did they do? Yeah, and that starts to build that appetite for for the monitoring piece. Yeah, but you're right. It's it's building the conversation and building that trust in the athlete. And there are going to be athletes that love the numbers, and there are going to be some that could care less. Yeah, absolutely. In um, any in any sport, right? In any level. But I think it really matters then. And what Graham and I really talked about in the performance plan was when we talk about monitoring, we're talking about the daily wellness questionnaires now we're starting to look at what is the impact of the program so like you said you're doing your, your force play testing well that force play testing is, is is bookmarking intake outtake yeah but what's happening in between yeah you know how are you monitoring how that change takes place so is it volume you know when we're cross country ski it's always in kilometers yeah um in the weight room we're always looking at what load so the simple thing we decided was what is the heaviest load you lifted for your key indicator? Because you can track everything. Yeah. But am I really caring about, you know, if a kid did some bicep curls? Like, yeah. honestly, it doesn't matter to me. What I want to know is, okay, if the squat is your key indicator lift, what is that load for the squat? What is the heaviest load you lifted for the number of reps? What is the RPE? Yeah. Because then we can go back and say the RPE has changed for 225 pounds. Or, you know, you've done more reps than 225 pounds, however you want to look at that. But it has to tie into the intake and outtake testing 
and match the physiological adaptation you're trying to get from that. Yeah. So that's where we, we really use our parameter loading charts to decide what is the adaptation and then what is the testing that goes around that to monitor to say that there's been an actual change. Yeah. And has that change had impact? Now, you have had that program has created impact change. How does that relate to performance? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, that's super interesting. So let's change gears a bit and talk about uh, other aspects of the stream. So besides monitoring, uh, you say you didn't touch on nutrition or psychology yet. That's kind of being outsourced. Yeah. What else did you guys touch on? We did a couple different modules on planning and long-term athlete development. Okay. And that's that's one area where I spent a lot of my career. Yeah. And it's been with development athletes and it's been not just with speed skaters or Olympic athletes and on that development pathway, but I work in the school system. So I do have a teaching degree and I do have a teaching license in Alberta. And I have spent a number of years working with the National Sports School, which was housed in Windsport, and also the last few years with Bonus High Performance Pathway. And what that really became was giving kids, at first it started off as, hey, we want you know high performance guys to come in and bring some of that aspect of high performance training to the sports school kids. And then when Bone S came around and, and we morphed the National Sports School program, how do we highlight what we do as a career to kids earlier? When was the first time you were in a performance lab? Uh, I mean, probably McMaster University, we had something yeah. of that sort. Uh, so yeah, I'd say undergrad. Undergrad, and that was me. Uh, undergrad at the University of Manitoba. I did my first two in Brandon. There was no performance lab. Get to the University of Manitoba, and they had a small lab. And then, you know, 2007, you get to the UFC lab, and that's with Rose Neal and Kelly Quip, and you're like, oh, this is amazing. There's yeah. everything here. And they're, they're testing cardiac output and VO2 max, and like, just the things that drove, drove me wild. Like, yeah. All that stuff. And I thought about that. I was like, gosh, I was 23, 24 years old by the time I saw a lab. What we're doing with the bonus high school kids is grade 10. Yeah. Bringing them to the lab and giving them these experiences. And then they come back to school and they're talking about this. And what ends up happening is now the teachers are like, what do you mean you went to go see the biomechanics? And now the school's coming over, meeting with the biomechanics group, and the math teacher's coming over. And the physics teacher's coming with them. Yeah. Because they want to see how do we tie this all together. Oh, yeah. And then you have the science teachers coming upstairs because the kids are doing VO2 max testing or incremental testing. They want to know. Well, here's how we can tie biology into it. And part of part of that was I took the curriculum to see how do we match all that to show the school. This is what we do as a career. This is how we tie everything together. And then it's not just the, the snippets, but how does it all match together? What's yeah. the pathway around taking tests and analyzing tests, utilizing them to develop your training plans? I had the kids literally first week of school get their rest, morning resting heart rates and start develop training zones. Yeah. Just from, you know, simple equations like, um, why is it losing my mind here? Um, you know, it's, oh, yeah, the, I can't think of the name. Yeah. Either. We could edit this we part can. out and Google right yeah. now what, <laughs> what equation you were uh, thinking of.
Kervonen? Kervonen. Good old Google. Yeah. Oh, I, I was thinking H. Anyways, yeah. So, yeah. so literally first week, here we are, we're getting the kids to take morning resting heart rates using the Kervonen formula. Yeah. Let's develop training zones for them. So that when they're actually training, now they got a purpose behind it. Yeah. And then Bone asked, they have a fantastic weight room in the school. I had all the kids write training plans. Let's, yeah. let's write them. Let's understand how you do that. So because I have my Olympic lifting certification through NCCP and Alico, Graham and I both would take on, because of big classes, we have either 20 kids in the class and try to split them up into sixes, bring them in. We taught Olympic lifting because it's in the school curriculum. But the problem is you know, the teachers are certified to teach Olympic lifting. Yeah. So we would teach this to the, to the groups and they would be able to go back to the school and they're practicing it. You know, we tie that all back to performance and how does Olympic lifting tie to jumping and sprinting and running? as opposed to just Olympic lifting as a sport. We're yeah. trying to teach it as a tool within training. So it was a fantastic experience, and that's where we spent a lot of time on developing the long-term athlete development. And the idea around what are, you're not training a 14-year-old like half a 28-year-old. You're actually developing a plan around physical literacy, the, the basics. And we kind of took the term athletic literacy more along the lines of like teaching those athletic skills because physical literacy you're hoping is being done in the phys ed department but it's not and you know and that's one of the biggest things we've always said is at the national level you're hoping to get the best athletes possible but the system is producing these athletes a lot of them are specialized and i'm not saying anything against specialization i'm actually going back to the idea that the kids don't have the same fundamentals that a lot of us grew up with. Yeah, I played a multitude of sports. I played everything because I grew up in a small town. If I didn't play, well, we didn't have a team because we needed everybody to play. So you played baseball and you played soccer and you played volleyball and basketball. You played everything. Even if you didn't like it, you still played it. And I think now the kids, you know, they're they're busy with all these these outside aspects. And I, look, if a kid loves hockey, I, I think it's great. Play as much as you want, but let's get them involved in other things. So that was another aspect we really tried to emphasize was it's not against specialization it's about building that broad base of yeah. skills so that you have structural tolerance yeah to be able to withstand the loads that you're going to be expected of later yeah i think that's really well put i think you know it becomes a very polarizing issue in long-term athletic development is early versus late specialization i think it's very context dependent it depends on the sport you can't late specialize in gymnastics and expect to go anywhere exactly. right um, and then, you know, even I see amongst my athletes, um, guys who specialize in hockey really early and guys who specialize later and, you know, they're all at the elite level. Yeah. And so you could really pull, pick and choose anecdotes to support either side of the argument. But I really agree with your point that, you know, still develop the base, even if you're going to specialize, like learn those other athletic skills that could help you long term. Right? Well, let's be honest, like how many, how many athletes have we work with? are going to be an Olympic athlete. Now, in our case, a little bit different because they're coming to us to be an Olympic athlete. So yeah. team. But if you really want to know your worth in this industry, in this career, it's easy to work with a professional athlete. It's easy to work with a, an Olympic athlete. They are driven. They're dedicated. They come with skills. Yeah. You're refining. Your job, don't blow them up. Yeah. Um, my Major League Baseball guy, I remember when he did his Major League debut, I was interviewed that day by Global, and they came in, they said, well, what's your job with him? 
don't don't break them. Like yeah. honestly, like yeah. you do what you need to. The the guy was gonna pitch in the major leagues whether I worked with him or not. Yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete, and he's like generally a good athlete overall. Um, big Mika Kiprasov fan, and he could do anything you asked him to do. The job for me was don't break them, and when I'm catching baseballs for them, don't get broken. <laughs> yeah, but you know it's the same thing with 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 Olympic athlete. You're not you're looking for one percent change. You're not changing that much in their training plan to make that one percent change. You're refining little bits. Yeah. When you have a kid come in, they are raw. Yeah. You are building that skill set. That is where I think. You know, it's, it's easy for us to look at this and go, everybody wants to work at the national level. Everybody wants to work at the pro athlete. Yeah, it's cool. It is It is one of the greatest jobs I've ever had in my life. I've enjoyed every minute. There wasn't a day that I woke up and went, damn, I don't want to go to work. I loved it. But you want to know how good you are? You take a development athlete. Yeah. And you start building a system and a plan where every kid that you work with ends up moving on to something bigger and better, whether that's the sport they wanted or something else, now you got your worth. Yeah. Because that is going to bring other kids in. And they're going to say, hey, i got to go work with this guy because I went here. You know, I started a, a program at the National Sports School. It was it, We called it the after school program. It was, there was no other good name for it. And what ended up happening was uh, a lot of the kids at the sports school all had – a specific sport they were in, they had a coach that they were working with, they had a strength coach they were working with, and then you had this mixed bag of kids that had no strength coach. And I was like, we mean you don't have a strength coach. Well, my strength coach is in Canmore, or our team doesn't have a strength coach. I was like, well, just come train with me. And we set up this really simple module program. And it literally took a track background idea warm-ups and track work, come in and do your mobility, learn your Olympic lifts, and do the basics. You're going to squat, dead, hip hinge, push, pull. Yeah. And it was amazing how the program just morphed to 35 kids, all showing up at like 2.30. I have the rules. You can come in at 2.30 if you can prove your homework's done. If your homework's not done, you come in at 3.30. Well, kids were getting their work done. I'd come in at 2.30, come down the stairs, and my bikes are full. I got kids on the track warming up. And somebody looks at me and goes, you're the laziest coach I've ever seen. I was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, you're not coaching these kids. I said, do they not look coached? That one's doing warm-ups. They, they all knew their roles. It took time. We built that yeah. culture. But they all knew their roles, and they were performing great warm-ups. They came in. They were helping coach each other on Olympic lifting. I just had to sit by the platforms and make sure we gave those cues. Yeah. Every kid started making progress in their respective sports. One of those kids that I had ended up starting with me at 13 years old. At 18, he got drafted by the Ottawa Senators. He's been with me ever since. Yeah. Um, he was a fan, let's be honest, once again, a fantastic athlete, really good triathlete, but loved hockey and excelled at it. And has been with me since. And he's now in uh, playing for Oma in the NCAA. Oh, nice. So great athlete, but you know, he was through that program. And there was no rocket science there. Let's yeah. go back to the basics for, the, for this athlete, athletic development. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, I spent time at the Hill Academy working with, you know, high school age athletes and they're pretty high level athletes, but you really cut your teeth at that level. Is that the right expression? Either yeah. way, sharpen your skills, 
uh, you know, working with younger athletes and, you know, building them from the ground up, you definitely get a lot of valuable experience as a strength coach. Like, and that's, that's kind of one of the things I really enjoy is because you still get those kids that will either message you on social media or you'll yeah. run into them somewhere else. Yeah. Or you look at look at the national team and go, half those kids are kids I work with. You know, we're looking at the freestyle ski program right now, and there's a bunch of them that we started in. They were just learning to snowboard. And yeah. we've worked with them for a number of years, and we've started the basics. Now, and you start looking at a sport that we consider the dude sport, like, hey, man, I just want to get out there and shred. I just want to hit the hill. <laughs> Training was not culture for them. Mm-hmm. Training for them was, I'm going to hit the hill, and if the snow is good, we're going to go out there for two hours as opposed to three hours. And, you know, I think young guys, like we've got young Drew Lawson that works with the CSI now, is doing a great job of building that culture of having training as part of the ideal of what they need to do. Yeah. Because it's making them injury proof. And once again, you're tying that back to not saying, you have to do weights in order to be a good snowboarder. Yeah. No, you have to do weights to make sure you are as injury proof or you can come back from injury as fast as you can. Yeah, I think that's... That's really big in building buy-in for sure is showing that, right? That that's exactly a large part of the reason why we train in the gym is for injury prevention. There's a lot of good data to help back that up, right? Not just anecdotal. So, um, I mean, that's a huge part of it too. And like you said, when you have an elite athlete, maybe that's a major part of it because they're going to be elite no matter what. They have that mindset. They have the skill. They put in the hard work over the years, right? And you just got to make sure they stay healthy. Well, and you're going to see it better than anybody with, with pro guys. you got your rookies coming in. They're going to have to put a little more work in than your veterans. And then you change that aspect when they're getting closer to the end of their career. Yeah. Because you're looking at either long, longevity of it. Yeah. So how does that training change? Or... I remember being in the collegiate system working at uh, the uh, Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. And our third, fourth year volleyball guys, we started training for life after sport. Look, I, I want you to leave this sport without being broken. Yeah. You know, because when you leave, you lose all, all the ability to go see the physio. You lose the ability to see your health service providers from, uh, from, the, uh, from the university aspect. So I was like, well, let's train you a little bit different. Let's make sure you're, you can survive outside of this. And that was a different mindset as well. So uh, what are some other aspects of the high performance stream you guys explored? I think the easiest one, you know, everybody thinks high performance and where we've grown was more on that strength and conditioning side. And so you think the weight room, and we did go back through proper progressions of weight training. We did some of the, we really little bit on on the actual technique, because honestly, like, look, you, you want to learn technique, you got to be in a, in an environment with a coach and learn how to coach those movements. But what we started to look at more was the integration and sequencing of condition programs within, within the idea of athletic training. And that's, I think, you're going to know this just as well as I will. Um, Dr. David Smith was big in the endurance side. I remember doing my my defense and my MKIN program, because I had a strong background strength, two hours and I got asked on cardiovascular physiology and endurance training. So I have spent a long time in my career in sports that are mixed modal. So where you look at my first job was cross-country ski. And you know, the, you get out there, you're the strength coach with cross-country ski. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to make them big and strong. My first experience in cross-country ski racing, I come out to Canmore, there's a World Cup on, and the first thing that would happen is the men's 50K. 
And I'm standing there, it's decently warm, I think minus 10, watching them. Gun goes off, they take off, and they're gone. Everybody starts walking in. I said, like, where are we going? Coach go, we're going to go to lunch. They're not back for like 20 minutes. It's like, what? Yeah, and they're taking off. And I was like, oh my God, you can't make them big. they got to carry that mass around. Yeah. How are you integrating the conditioning aspect into sport? And I think that's a really key thing I've learned over the, over the last number of years under Doc, under Scott Ma, of how does that get integrated? How do you sequence proper strength conditioning into the training plan when you have volume days, when you have intensity days, and what is that integration of of the training modalities so that you're not interfering? Yeah. I think back to Dr. Ian Sporer's article in 2001, and you look at that interference model, yes, it's been contested, but I still go back to that and say, hey, there's there's something here that you have to keep in mind. Yeah. Because you can't be just saying, well, we're going to do everything at one time. There's coaches who buy into the block training idea. Yeah. We talked about that in the, in the program is block training. And then we talked into the into the sequential training that we're going to train everything, but it has to be done properly. Yeah. So we, we did a fair fair amount on that, that section and the endurance training side and, and just the ideas behind looking at cardiac output, the heart rate reserve, Promoting formula, all this stuff to be able to use with athletes in order to have better better models around which you're going to use training and prescribed training. Yeah, I think the whole concurrent uh, training stuff. There's a lot of nuances that people miss when it comes to that. No, I mean, you know, if you take an average athlete, you could probably make great improvements in both strength and conditioning at the same time. Whereas an elite athlete, an elite cross cross country skier, skier, there's definitely a lot more planning that needs to go in, in place there. And uh, yeah, you definitely need to work around some things to optimize both as yeah. much as possible, or at certain times of year, optimize either one. Right? Yeah, I think my years with Hockey Canada, I had at any point in time, I had up between three and fifteen of the, the women's national team with me. And we got to a point where, you know, they're in three to five times a week. And how are, like, we're not just going to sit there and do hypertrophy in one, one block and then we're going to, we mixed everything up. They had power workouts on, on in, in a week. They might have some that are GPP, but we used the sequencing in order to enhance everything that was happening before and after. Yeah. And making sure that you had one key workout for the week. How does everything tie to that one key workout that, means you are making the best advancement in that workout alone and how does everything match up to that and then to the next block of the training and that in speed skating happened usually on wednesdays we had one key workout on wednesday how's everything from monday monday a.m and p.m tuesday a.m p.m and wednesday morning lead to that event so the sequencing became a lot of fun and that's where you sit down and really have good conversation with coaches about what do they know about physiology? How does it interact? How is that going to lead to fatigue either here and are they recovered before they can do it again? And then you got to compete on the weekend. Yeah. How are you making sure all of that leads to performance on the weekend? Yeah. So that was, you know, that comes into the periodization side. Of yeah. But. I mean, we're having very similar conversations at work right now leading into, you know, this uh, post-COVID camp before the season in terms of, you know, building up the work capacity, but doing it in a way that they won't be too fatigued when we do start games. And, you know, you don't want to, it's such a mix of what guys have done to get to this point in terms of their preparation, what they've had access to based on what country they've been in. 
So, you know, you have to make sure guys aren't doing too much too soon either. And so a lot of variables. And then again, working with the coaches and their plan. So uh, that that's huge, right? Well, it's, it's Communicating simple. with coaches. Yeah, and it's simple. Like the first thing the coaches are going to want to do is they get out there. They get excited that we're back. Yeah. You know, I, I remember the years I was helping with the men's hockey program. And we would have the U16 program come in. They're bringing in the top 120 U16 players around. So we've I've seen them for the last probably six years and the first couple of years they came in and what they want to do is like well let's set the way first day and it's just a, it's just a banger of a skate and then you start to see the injuries creep in because we realize well it's the middle of july and the kids haven't been on ice that much so we started to sit down with dr Stephen norris and he's planned out what are they going to do for the month leading into camp yeah and we watched it go from 60 injuries the one year to three the next year. Wow. Just by saying, hey, let's do some simple preparation. And we put together a real easy program kids could do at home. And then I sat down with the kids online and talked to the kids and the parents saying, look, if you have a program and you work with something, don't, don't change anything. Just make sure you're following the, the proper sequence. Get on the ice when you need to get on the ice when they tell you, hey, this is the proper time to be out there. But if you've got a good strength coach that you're working with, you trust them, don't drop his program for ours. Like, you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Obviously, you've had success. Let's just make sure you're prepped for this camp. And we watch this all, all unfold, and it's perfect because the coaches also realize, yeah, we got to ease them in. You know, you don't – I'll never know this, but I've had clients who've had Ferraris, and they say you got to warm them up before you get them out, out on the road. Well, you don't just start the engine and back it out. It's yeah. the same thing. Years ago when I had water polo, and these guys were – let's be honest, water polo in Canada was small at the time. They were great athletes, but the coach would come in Monday morning and just, it was all work and no play. They just yeah. got to go. It's got to be heavy in the weight room, heavy in the, in, the, in the pool. I was like, let's ease them into Wednesday. Let's get them easy because they're off on Sunday. They train six days a week, two a days. Sunday's their day off. Yeah. They're either resting or they're going to do something that's probably not conducive to, yeah. to recovery. And I find either one, you come back on Monday feeling sluggish, yeah. right? <laughs> so when we start to do this process of making Wednesday kind of the big focus, yeah, we start to see progress. Yeah. And that was, it was huge. And the coach really started to see that they were better by Wednesday and they were performing better. Um, that was one of the greatest successes we had was, was changing the culture of that team. Yeah. You know, we, moved locations they were training here downtown calgary where the pool was and then one day we decided you know we have to get them out of that environment because they've seen it for the last some of them anywhere from four to one almost 16 years on the team and we said you know we need them to be in a different environment because those four walls the same pool is starting to wear on yeah it was, it was tough so we decided let's bring them up to the, the csi calgary up at canada olympic park not only for this fact that, one, the gym that they were at downtown was vast. It's huge, and they could go and hide where they don't want to work out. Yeah. The CSI Calgary was all collegiate-style weight room. The guys come in. We knew where they were. We could see who was doing the work. And the other part of it was more of that social aspect of seeing that you're not the only poor athlete in this country. You know, there are other athletes working their rear ends off, and there are other national team people that you can – you know, make friends with, understand, they have a better understanding of what situation you're in. And it took us a couple of years, and finally I remember we had a new coach in, he came in to see the team, and I walked down the stairs, and the guys were already in, on the bikes, 
they're warming up. And we realized that we had changed a culture for, to guys who want to work, guys who want to be in the environment, putting that time in yeah. and, and an effort. And it was, it was a really amazing feeling. You know, they, they ended up moving to Montreal. The program shifted from Calgary. They took the nice program, moved to Montreal to amalgamate the IST. But I still hear from those guys on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. It was, it was a great team. That was the, the, we missed the Olympics by one goal. You know, that was the year we tied Hungary in an international competition. And all the other athletes are wondering why we're cheering. There's the water, the guys that stayed home and myself in the weight room, and we're cheering and jumping, and we're, we're crying, and they're going, what are you guys all excited about? You guys tied. I was like, Hungary is the greatest country in the world. That's like Canada having been tied by Norway in hockey. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So you know we had a lot of success in that program, and I still wish those guys the best of success now. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so true what you say about getting out of the environment, right? Like we, our guys who stick around for the summer and train with us, uh, as you know, we used to do it up at the CSI, and then we go uh, elsewhere, but we don't do it at the Saddle Dome, right? And I think a large part of that is just the mental aspect of getting out of you know where they spend every single day all winter. And, you know, getting a bit of a different environment. And like you said, you see other athletes working hard. You know, these guys, some of them getting paid millions of dollars. And then they see athletes who are, you know, just scraping by, putting in the work every day, day in, day out. I think it's a good reality check for yeah. them as well. So, yeah, that's great. Um, let's wrap up our talk on the um, high performance stream here. Um, are there any other topics that you guys cover that you want to touch on here today? Or leave it all up for uh, when our listeners actually do your stream. Yeah, I think it'd be good for listeners to do the stream. It, it was really a pleasure to do that system, uh, to have a look at everything we did. It really summed up an educational piece for me. It was almost like going back and doing the masters over again and reviewing all this information that we took in. Yeah. You know, the way I studied for my masters was taking all our notes that we, we gathered over the two years we were in that program. And I typed all the notes out and I made sure I created a booklet. Yeah. And I handed it off to every, every professor that I worked with. And I said, that was a great way of, of reviewing the process and, and understanding everything that we took in. And we used that, those notes extensively to build this program out. Yeah. You know, it was it was a review and a confirmation of the thing that we were doing or the thoughts we had in our training process. How do we want to build athletes? What is the start process of intake and building a gap analysis and understanding decision-making processes in training and then putting the plan in place Yeah, and then identifying the plan. I think there's a great section there that Graham did on, on statistics in sport and understanding change and yeah. validity and reliability. And I think that's hugely important that we need to understand yeah. as strength coaches because, you know, just because we see things in Articles doesn't mean it's always going to work in the daily training environment. I still like to think that the daily training environment is a little bit ahead of research. Yeah. You know, we come up with these theories and ideas and we use the research to build this model. But to research these things, we need time. Yeah. And by the time a paper comes out, we might have been doing it. It's the same idea, like I said, to Les, like I said, the story of Lester Mantic. He was when we did that in 71. Yeah. You know, he tried it and it didn't work. And we, we were always doing little research projects in the daily training environment. Yeah. I think part of what we built in this module is understanding how to identify proper procedures to say this was realistic change. Yeah. This is making an impact. 
I, I mean, I appreciate that so much in terms of your approach that way. I mean, we're, we're very similar. I'm very, you know, evidence-based and, you know, we like hard objective data to try to show that what we're doing is actually making change. And at the same time, if it's not, you got to change what you're doing, right? Too many people are trying to die on their sword and, and, you know, try and convince you that works. Well, where's the data? Where's the proof, right? So I really like that, you know, you guys take that approach. And, you know, just come back to what you're saying about using stats to try to show, is it meaningful change? Um, earlier, you touched on the high school teachers from bonus coming, like the physics teacher or whatever, and, and coming and looking at the biomechanics lab. I think that's great. Like if my math teacher, stats teacher in high school had, had put it together in a context where I could be like, okay, I'm actually going to use this then I wouldn't have dumped it all out of my brain for the past 10 years and had to relearn it in the last five years. Uh, everything right from slope of the line formula when we're doing force velocity stuff yeah. and trying to do regression equations to figure out maxes to stats and all this type of stuff that, you know, you learn, you don't use in a practical setting a lot, but then, you know, now seeing how much of that is involved in high performance sport, I, you know, wish I had, held on to those skills so I didn't need to relearn them. Well, that's it. And it's also giving these, these kids an opportunity to see the pathway that's available to them. I started this in 1996, and there was no pathway for training. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember telling people, I want to be a, I want to be a sport coach. And they're like, what? Like, that's a real job? Yeah. I hear, like, small town in Manitoba, nobody really realized that. People didn't exercise for fun. You're riding a bike because you need to get somewhere. Yeah. You weren't riding a bike because you were trying to get fit. Um, I was heavily into hockey at the time. I was an average player in basketball. And I used training to make whatever gains I could. You know, and my first my first exposure to training was one of the guys in our hometown was playing the Western Hockey League. And he goes, well, you want to train for, for hockey? He goes, come for a run with me. We ran 10K the first day. I couldn't walk. You know, and that was my first exposure to training. And then I started to do a little bit more reading and, Realize that you know there is a pathway here. There's something that can be done, but there was no direct. Hey, I'm gonna go to school. I'm gonna get my kinesiology degree. I'm gonna do this internship with uh, you know down in athletes performance or at the CSI Calgary or wherever it is, and then I'm gonna become a strength coach. It was like you have to find this way. I yeah. ended up going through general studies with phys ed, then education, realizing I'm not gonna be a teacher, but I still like having that degree. I think it's one of the most important degrees I have. Then into exercise and sports science. And then I'm at, in Calgary, I run into these amazing athletes at Talisman Center who are trained for boxing. So I was like, how do you train them? And my friend goes, well, you need to get a master's. I was like, okay, I'll go do that. I really didn't think I was going to get any of my master's program. Didn't tell my wife I applied. Then she gets a call that I got accepted. And she goes, well, you better go to school. So I did. And, you know, I, I was really lucky that Dr. Matt Jordan called me up and said, hey, I got an opportunity to cross-country skiing. That's how I got my foot in the door. Yeah. And it was really being persistent and kind of being a pest in the weight room, just saying, hey, what do you need help with? Scott, you need help with this study. It was Scott Ma at the time. Was with he was still with Peace Game Canada. I said, hey, do you need help with any studies? And he said, yeah. I said, you know, the days that we had flames testing, when we were at the CSI Calgary, I'd take days off of work to go help them out, to show them interested. And I think that's, you know, I'm fortunate to have spent 15 years already doing this at high performance level. Yeah. You know, I hope to spend another 15 more. You know, I, I, I always said I expected someday my wife's going to get a call when I'm 80 years old and he's just, you know, had a 
massive heart attack under the squat rack, and that's <laughs> no better way to go. That's exactly what it was. But, you know, it, it, that's where I really love that aspect of, of teaching the kids and showing that there is a pathway here and there is a career. And whether that's in high performance or in development sport, I've worked with a number of people who absolutely love the clinical aspect of it, and I give them the all the credit in the world because it scares the living daylights out of me. Yeah. You know, but we were really exposed to that in the in the MCAM program. And to see that clinical side is there's a huge need for it. Yeah. And you know, and I really hope this gets to a point where our career careers are taken seriously, that there is real benefit. People see that. Like we see it in our our uh, we see it amongst ourselves. And you know, when you start to look around and see that pathway of okay. I'm a personal trainer, I'm going to move to sport performance, and you start to see that it's a legitimate profile for us to, to hold. I think that's going to be an exciting time. We're, we're, it's getting there, but we're pioneering it as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this career is definitely in its infancy for sure. Yeah. And like you said, there's no one pathway, no many different high-performance strength coaches who have uh, gone through different routes to get there, yeah. right? So. Yeah, um, and we're going to finish up here with a few questions I like to ask all the guests, um, just some general questions. Uh, so what are you curious or passionate about right now? I, I really, like I said, I, I enjoy the development side of it, and I really want to help understand proper pathways around athlete development. And I think the long-term athlete development is a, is a great model. I think there's it's the difficulty I see in that is implementing that in a daily training environment and having people buy in and see that there is benefit in doing it a very specific way. And what's that long-term process? You know, like we want to see parents are, are paying for programs and they want to see results now, but really having those hard conversations with parents or having those really in-depth conversations with parents to show that there is a long-term plan. You know, it's hockey's gonna be one. I always pick on it because I grew up in it. And everybody's kid who's gonna train right now is gonna become the next Gretzky. Well, they're not. You know, yeah. how do you build that pathway that kids have success? And if they decide to hop off that success train, you know, onto a different sport, that's gonna be okay too. I think one of the greatest athletes, you know, one of the best moments I had was I had an athlete that was training with me and she came up one day, she goes, I'm quitting hockey. And I was like, you're on a pathway to make a national program. She goes, I'm going speed skating. It's like, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, she was one of my athletes for the last number of years as a speed skater. And I, I think that's a success story right there. Yeah. Because she had the skills to go off and do something else. So I'm, I'm passionate about that. I'm really trying to understand what the next progression is. Like, what are the new things? Like you said, well, stats, we, we left them alone for a while. And now you got to come back to them. It's relearning that. It's yeah. relearning how to visually represent data. Yeah. How do you collect it? How are you manipulating it through either R code? I've got a number of books on R code right now that I'm like, oh my God, I wish I would have taken some more computer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's it. And making sure that you're doing it a proper way of just instead of, hey, Google, well, how do I? Yeah. You want to make sure you got a system so that if I hand my material off to someone else, they can follow that as yeah. well. So you got to make it visually appealing and easy to digest for coaches too, yeah. right? Because at the end of the day, like we talked about earlier, you know, coaches buying in is huge, right? So, and showing that you're actually making meaningful yeah. change. And we're all science. We like this stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you're, I've learned 
over the number of years, you know, working with so many different coaches and the views of coaches coming from the European system is a lot different than the coaches coming from the North American system. And when you start talking strength and conditioning, you know, that's where you can lose a European coach. Where they're just like, well, we do sport and our system of training is different. And you, how do you communicate with those coaches? And I think building those relationships is so huge. Yeah. You know, and that's, that is the, you have to start looking at what are the hard skills you want to learn. Um, you know, obviously recently I've been looking at what are my hard skills and what are my soft skills and really identifying that. And in an environment where it's ever changing and you're just day in and day out, you think your hard skills are your soft skills, you know, the coaching aspect, but building that leadership style, the ability to communicate, the ability to build relationships, the ability to manage people, manage situations, problem solve on the goal. That's, that's the skills that you know, we're really looking at now with, with this kind of career and the things that I'm trying to be more passionate about because I want to help as many people as I can. I love it. Um, what are some book recommendations you have and or what are you reading right now? Holy, that's a loaded question. My wife, she was losing her mind right now because uh, obviously you, you mentioned the one in the break and that was uh, um, the one with the MVP. MVP machine, yeah. MVP so machine. Scott recommended that to me when he did the our episode. So, so trust me, I'll be, I'll be picking that one up on the way home. Yeah. Um, you know, one that was really cool was uh, Building Captain America. Building Captain America. Paul Zier. And it is, uh, he goes to this uh, I love, I love comics. I think comics are fun. You just kind of lose yourself in comic life. Uh, Paul Zier wrote the book, Building Captain America, and it's more along the lines of, like, what is the science behind the character of Captain America? Mm. And you start to go through the AI, you know, the use of, of steroids and what that can do to the body and the, and the harmful effects of it, you know, and it starts to put ideas around the limits of the human body and what we can do. So that's a really good one. Um, I, it's funny, all these textbooks I have, the one, and Scott Wilgris also, uh, suggested this one is, uh, Thomas Kerr's training Thomas. theory and sport. Okay. Yeah. And I have that one on my desk that's is on a constant go. I feel like I read that back when I did my master's on recommendation from doc probably. And I just pulled out, uh, Carl Paoli's freestyle. And Carl Paoli is a, he's a crossfitter, but he was a gymnastics coach. And he talks a lot about the idea of movement and, and assessing movement quality and understanding, looking at a sport and identifying the movements that are necessary in the sport. And yeah, there's going to be guys who are going to say, well, it's cross, it's a crossfit book. I, I look at it from the quality of the book. There's some really good information in there about setting up the idea about balance and coordination and agility and and how do you identify the necessary movements in a specific sport? Because if we look at it, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to improve quality of movement. We're trying to build efficiency. And whether that efficiency is coming from a physiological adaptation to the cardiovascular system or a movement quality, building speed power, yeah. it all comes out of movement efficiency. So you know, that's, I think that's a really foundational book right now as well. Interesting. All right, last question for you before I let you go today. Um, what is one piece of advice you would give a younger you? Patience. And stick with it. Like, for people getting into the high-performance world, there are going to be days that are fantastic. There are going to be days that 
are hard and you're going to wonder, am I doing this for the right purpose? And, you know, I look back and there have been a lot of ups and downs. Um, I have a very patient wife who has been through all of it with me. And I wouldn't change any of it. You know, I really, the, the patience I've had to stay with this goal, this passion, has led to really amazing experiences. I've got to travel the world. I've worn the Canadian flag on my back. You know, I've had world champions, world record holders, Olympic athletes, professional athletes. And, you know, at the end of the day, you look at the relationships you build with them and the friendships you made with with the people around you, the good people you met through this through this profession, I wouldn't change any of it. So, you know, it, there's going to be days when you're going to be saying it's not worth it. It is. It totally is. It is fun. Um, you're not doing this for money. You're doing this because you genuinely love what you do when you wake up every day. It's not a day of work. It's just, I get to go to the gym. I get to hang out with really smart people. I get to hang out with amazing athletes. I get to build systems that make impact change for someone else. And at the end of the day, you know, when you get that message from a kid, and it's not even going to be an Olympian, it's going to be a kid that just said, hey, um, I had one of my girls said, you know, I had to dedicate my season to someone. I dedicated it to you because you helped make difference. Wow. That meant so much. Like yeah. when you get those messages. So yeah. patience and, and persistence. Awesome. Well, that was a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this, Jeff. Thanks really appreciate me. it. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I hope uh, our listeners check out your high-performance stream that you helped create there. And um, where can our listeners learn more about you or get in contact with you? I'm, my email is jeffosadic at gmail.com or I'm on Twitter at jeffosadic. Great. Well, thank you very much again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Osadic. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast and rate it using whatever streaming service you are listening on. You can also share this podcast with friends, connect with us on social media, or by email. If you have ideas for future episodes, topics you want to hear about, the contact links are in the show notes for each episode. Thank you so much again for listening, and we'll see you next time.